Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I'm joined by Catherine Rubino. How are you? I'm good. How about yourself? You know, fair. Fair. Yeah, I mean, I guess the way our society appears to be breaking down is not awesome. You know, things aren't good, but, you know, we're, we're plugging along here at Above the Law. We're still talking about the legal industry so long as we have laws, and, you know, yeah, that's just all we can do about it. That seems basically like all we could do. <laughs> so, yeah, no. So we're we're actually entering the reopening phase of our pandemic mm-hmm. response. Seems as though a lot of other jurisdictions around the country have already gone through this stage. So I'm eager to chat with people about how that's going. I've been doing that over the last few days, like what to expect. I mean, I think it's interesting, particularly as it applies to like the legal industry, because so many lawyers really are able to do their job remotely. What's the difference if you're up all night writing a brief at home or in the office? So I think that there's definitely some of the, well, you know, we don't want to rush it. Work seems to be going just fine from the outside kind of mentality. But I do think that, you know, as more courts open up or get more comfortable doing remote trials or hearings or whatever, you know, obviously then that has that kind of spiraling or snowballing effect in the industry. Speaking of courts opening up, uh, not to throw a plug to our special report, but we do record a supplemental podcast that's just on COVID issues called the ATL COVID cast. And this week, we actually had a really interesting show about courts opening up and how jury pools are going to be completely different. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Um, And yeah, definitely listen to it. People have done actual real research about this. But by and large, it looks like jury pools are going to be a lot more friendly towards corporate interests in the at least in the short term as we start to get back. Yeah. It, it just one of those crazy unexpected I fallout. never would have thought it, you know, yeah. and and you know we we as we were kind of going through the, the data and the the rationale why and all that I mean it makes sense. It yeah. does. It makes so much sense, but if you uh you know are a def- representing someone who's a defend a corporate defendant in a case, you want to you want to push for that trial to be as soon as you can, really. Yeah. Uh it, it seems pretty overwhelming the evidence. Yeah, it, it, very interesting show. Anyway, yeah. so we, we plugged for that one right there. If you want to go out and try and find it, it's on the usual whatevers. Well, with all of that said, we should get into what we're here to talk about today, which we have a couple of topics because there are a couple of topics that still dominate the news. What have you been working on the most these days? Okay. Basically, 85% of my time and the other 15% has been coming up with trivia questions of the day has been tracking what Big Law's response to the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, um, Ahmaud Arbery murders, deaths have been as well as you know, the protests in general, lots of big law firms and, and, you know, corporations in general, right? You know, Ben and Jerry's put out an amazing statement basically calling for the end of white supremacy and specific policies that needed to be changed. And that was awesome. And yeah, I will definitely buy their ice cream. Well, I mean, I was going to do that anyway, but it makes me feel really good when I buy their ice cream. But, you know, that's a big thing for for companies to, to deal with is like, how are they responding? And I think that that there's two main reasons why. I mean, the first is how are your employees doing? Big law, you know, biggest law firms employ thousands of people, right? 
many of them are being directly impacted by the unrest that we're seeing and reaching out to make sure that they're to see how your employees are doing, what resources they may need, et cetera, I think is a very important, necessary thing for any company in order to sort of deal. That, that's like the soft side, the, the HR kind of side of running a major business, right? Is making sure, especially in law firms where, I mean, what does a law firm have? It only has the, pe- the lawyers that it has, right? It's people. That is their asset. So it's really important, I think, for law firms to reach out and to make sure folks are doing okay. And the other part is to, for, both as a signaling measure for its clients, but also to see what law firms can do to make it better. You know, obviously there's a lot of systemic racism and injustice in the world, and lawyers are uniquely situated in the fact that they have the ability to navigate these systems. And whether it be by pro bono or whether it's financially supporting grassroots or other nonprofits that work towards social justice, there's a lot of room for for firms to do stuff that will that you know on balance make the world a better place. All right, so you've been getting a lot of statements and compiling them. Uh, are there mm-hmm. trends that you're seeing in these statements like what like good ones, bad ones, what makes good ones, what makes yes. bad ones? There we have absolutely has run the gamut. Uh, you know, some some great there are some great statements from folks from firms that are well positioned in terms of they already had really good pro bono programs in place, and they're either supplementing those or you know Oric created a program where they're going to have five attorneys. They're going to pay five attorneys to work on social justice matters for a year, sort of a fellowship kind of a program, which I think is is really great. And it's at least five people, I guess. I should say, as well as expanding opportunities for not just their attorneys, but their staff as well to participate in organizing movements. So those that's kind of like on, on the good side, you know, people, firms that are giving money, right? You know, that's another that's another big one. Cooley gave four hundred and fifty thousand dollars you know, to to related causes f- to work towards uh, equal justice, which is great. Then on the kind of the the bad side, you know, I got an email from a reader who was very upset and disappointed that their firm hasn't said anything. A quite a quite a poignant email, and it just said, you know, I I assumed that must mean that big law is not saying anything at all because you know it's a business and whatever. And then I went to your website, and I saw that dozens of firms have come out with statements. <laughs> so, so, you know, there's de- and people are feeling that and to the extent that big law firms care about recruitment and care about getting the best and the brightest in their doors every year, that's something that's super, super important. And kind of the third category, there have been quite a few statements that uh, folks at the firm have characterized as the all lives matter of firm statements, whether it be that several statements have been called out for their in- seeming inability to use the word black, you know, maybe re- relying on the phrase persons of color or uh, just diversity generally. So that's been a part of it. Other firms have kind of said, you know, well, really, we're all diverse and we we support everyone's diversity, whether you're left-handed oh, yeah. or black. <laughs> that, that doesn't feel right right now. So yeah, we, we're we're cataloging them all right now, and that's kind of the stage that that I'm in before I kind of organize my thoughts and and rank and grade everyone's responses. And and we really have seen a variety of responses. You know, Brad Carp at Paul Weiss has 
if anything, been over-communicating with folks at Paul Weiss. Um, I think he sent four or five emails um, to everyone. And he even, in the, his most recent one, I think, apologized for, for, for kind of flooding folks' inbox. But it's important things that he, that he's pointing out in the most recent one. And, you know, they are supporting pro bono efforts and, and you know, doing all the, the right stuff on that front, but they also called attention to the story of actual activists that are what they're doing and how that relates to Paul Weiss's mission generally. They talked to, they talked about Pauli Murray, which is a civil rights activist, and, you know, talked to and a former, you know, Paul Weiss associate. So there's a wide variety, I guess, of responses that are out there. And I think that we are getting a very clear look at firms' cultures when you break down and look at these statements. Well, right. And that that transitions to the real crux of it from a legal industry perspective. Obviously, it's Mm -hmm. important for a lot of perspectives, but this podcast, to tie it to what this podcast is, you know, about, I'll say that it turns to that culture question and whether or not if this is a firm that you feel comfortable working at mm-hmm. or sending, if you're not a, a lawyer, but on the business side, sending business to, or send, you know, if you're in law school or a law professor sending your students to, these statements, as important as they are to the outside world, just generally, they send a message about what one's firm believes. And mm-hmm. that has impacts for the way in which it's perceived in the industry. Not to, again, this seems like I'm kind of turning down the importance of what's going on, but it's true that it's an important question. And when you say something that's incredibly shallow, shallow, that's a good word for it, then then that's the message that you're you're sending the world. And even if you don't necessarily believe it, it, it's important to communicate these ideals in a in a positive way or in a way that you want, uh, I guess, maybe you're willing to defend in a a way that you're willing to defend in a way that you think builds uh, the firm that you want. Paul Weiss has historically been very aggressive about saying that what they want is a more socially oriented firm, generally speaking. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Hence, that's a really important statement for them. Uh, We saw this a few years ago. There was an unfortunate incident where they promoted no people of color, basically, to Mm -hmm. partner one year. And within, like, out of the gate, they were, as a firm, effusive about how that was an outlier. It doesn't represent anything intentional about what was going on with the firm. It's just kind of like where that class happened to be. They right. made strides to change that. But they were they were out front to explain what happened. Because sometimes even if things aren't, even if the picture is not great, the answer is not to sweep it under the rug, but to get ahead and say, we are cognizant of the issue here. Mm-hmm. We understand what, what to do about it. We have a plan to fix it. That said a lot about the culture there, right. uh, even with the and, you know, it also was indicative of how that culture had developed that when this event happened, the associates kind of flooded our inbox, meaning that they really had succeeded in recruiting associates who cared about these issues because mm-hmm. they were quick to point out the problems. Anyway, and I alas. Mean, it's, it's a weird thing to have to say to law firms because you presume that they know a lot about language and words and there's a lot of writing, obviously, in the profession, but words matter. And the words that firms are choosing to describe what's going on right now and their response to it really, really matter. And perhaps it's more highlighted when I'm looking at 
50 of them at a, at a clip. Um, <laughs> but it's it's true and it's real and, you know, it's it's out there and people really need to start, sort of think about what they're, what they mean to say and what they are actually saying. I think that when you actually start looking at them and comparing them and contrasting them, particularly for folks that are maybe thinking about going into big law or lateraling or, or you know, law students who are going to law firms or people who are hiring law firms, you should pay attention to these things and you can see a difference. It's not like, oh, well, they put out a statement. Well, did they put out a statement? What does a statement look like? What what kind of concrete was it? Is it words? Is it, are they putting money behind it? These are all mm-hmm. questions that I think are really important. Yeah. And so completely switching gears, you were saying about putting money behind things. The economy is still not exactly back to where one would like it. And we are still seeing unemployment and mm-hmm. law firm layoffs and furloughs. And it's and it's not just the firms, it's also companies. But the important thing to remember is that, you know, you've got to Keep your firm going because uh, there will be another side of this. And if you want to get through it all, you might need to make some cuts. And if you're trying to cut costs, then you're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter, and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit Logical.com slash LTN. That's Logic with a K-C-U-L-L dot com forward slash LTN. So changing gears completely to talk about the the not yet lawyers in this world, bar exams have been not canceled you know, across the board, which is what I think a lot of people assumed would happen when there was a pandemic that advised people not to crowd into small rooms. But Many, while there are many that have delayed until the fall, and there are many that are t- several now who are talking about online exams uh, against the wishes of the NCBE, who coordinates bar ex- the the bar exam nationwide. Hey, can you, you kind of like talk about that for a minute? I, sure. you, you've kind of been handling more of the bar side stuff. I've been kind of handling more of the big law stuff. You kind of have to divide and conquer when everything's going to hell, right? Right. Um, <laughs> And and so so forgive me um, if this is sort of rudimentary, but but why 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 are we not doing an online exam? It seems to right. me like the the big concern would be oh you know cheating whatever, but fundamentally being a lawyer is an open book exam right. So I don't really see there being a problem if they're you know have access to resources as they're taking the bar exam. Frankly, the way that it's based just on memory that you promptly forget is kind of weird and anachronistic if anything. Well, actually, you know, I haven't even touched on that point, but that's an excellent point. The actual practice of law is almost never, and by design, something that you make snap decisions. Uh, or should so, you, right? <laughs> like, right? That's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and so, yes, no, there, there is a very good argument to be had that the whole concept of a bar exam is stupid on that front. Uh, and I have not even touched that in my coverage. <laughs> um, I've been dealing with other arguments against it, but that is one to add to the arsenal. No, the NCB has done some good work over the last several years of nationalizing bar exams in a lot of ways, creating Mm -hmm. a Mm -hmm. uniform bar exam, which is valuable to the extent that for good or ill, the laboratories of democracy that our states are not really laboratories of democracy as much as people who just pass the same laws drafted by lobbyists and handed to them. So 
as law is increasingly becoming smoother across jurisdictions, there's not as much need for some weird individualized state bar exam. And so what the UBE does is offer something that tests subject matter competency across jurisdictions. And the good another good benefit of it is it provides career portability. If you pass with a certain score in one state, theoretically, you could walk to another and have that afford you access to that jurisdiction if you're moving or something like that. So that's a good thing. The uniform, the kind of nationalizing this has been a good thing. Okay, that seems good. That seems good. (laughs) That said, as with most monopolies in the world, there is little to no impetus to change. If they control everything as it is, there's no reason to change. They don't want to go through the process of figuring out how to work an online bar exam, even though the law schools all did it uh, with some some failures, obviously, but with varying levels of success, law firms have uh, not law firms, law schools figured out how to do this over over this well, pandemic. I mean, and you can still do yeah. it on the computer, right? Like people take the bar exam on a computer, like that was the whole exam soft thing. I mean, I know it's not online as opposed to you know, but yeah. still, like you 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 don't think that that's. There are online proctoring systems and stuff like that. Yes. No, there are plenty of ways in which this could be handled online, but they don't want to do that. So they are saying that that's bad. And they, they argued against the people pushing for a diploma privilege plus option where people would not even have a subject matter test. Their diploma would be sufficient to say that they understood the subject matter and then beef up the back end stuff, the ethics requirements, the continuing legal education, so on and so forth, perhaps even including a mandatory supervised period where a lawyer would have to watch you work. So those sorts of programs, they released a whole fairly offensive statement claiming those were bad, and Utah responded to it by saying, no, we're going to go ahead and good for them. A few states, Massachusetts first said they were considering it. They haven't pulled the trigger yet, but they are considering it. Indiana and Michigan have both said they're going online. And the NCBE's response to this is, you can do whatever you want, but it's not going to be portable. And we'll just make sure that no other state will let you transfer your scores. Which, I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, these states have have made an agreement that the UBE is something that's transferable between them, but there's nothing stopping these states other than the, you know, the attempt to stamp out dissent that an NCBE press release is. Uh, There's nothing to stop these states from saying, you know what, 2020, we had something of a pandemic and we wrote our own exam and, you know, Indiana, I'm Michigan and I feel safe saying that if you're, they pass your exam, then they're fine with me. And vice versa. And other states who aren't even do who are still sticking with the regular bar exam could do the same. Ohio, I mean, can't imagine Ohio and Michigan getting along on anything, but Ohio could say, you know, we we saw what happened and we trust Michigan wrote a sufficient bar exam that if somebody passed their online exam, then that we will count that as subject mastery for the purposes of waving into or not waving in, but applying for Ohio bar membership. Mm-hmm. That could easily happen and should be what states do. The NCB, however, is trying to stamp that out by saying, well, you know, these are, you know, don't don't waver from our plan because this is what we do. Anyway, given the situation, uh, a lot of people have delayed. Some people are talking about online exams, but most haven't. And that, that's why we have delays. There are some states who predominantly in the South, 
who have decided as a matter of whatever that they're going to go forward with the bar exam in July, despite the fact that students can't go to their bar prep classes and there's uncertainty and the whole thing may not even be able to be pulled off. But they're they're going forward with it in July, despite what's going on. And you would think that that would be a dangerous, uh, dangerous uh, yeah. thing that they wouldn't yeah, want to do. Yeah, it seems it. It seems it. I mean, I remember. I remember taking the bar exam. I mean, it, and I mean, I presume it's mostly lawyers listening to this or folks in law school. But there's like a bajillion people jammed into the Javits Center in New York, all trying to take the test. Like, it's not. I can't imagine a socially distant version of that. Yeah. So they're they're moving forward. But the the new thing that cropped up over the last week is states deciding that. You know, on the one hand, they're assuring everybody that they believe that conditions will be sufficient, that they can have the test in July and nobody will get hurt. And simultaneously, they are drawing up paperwork and making people taking the bar exam sign away that they they will hold oh. the bar exam. Oh. They will not hold the bar exam liable if they, you know, turn out to uh, die. That's not great. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, what it really speaks to is the hypocrisy of the moment, right? Like, sure, sure. They, I mean, there we don't sign waivers about what if the building, the bar exams in burns down, which is always a possibility. It is a remote yeah. possibility, but it is a possibility. Mm-hmm. But we don't have waivers for it because it's a remote possibility. The fact that they feel the need to have liability waivers is indicative of the fact that they really don't think that this is safe for them to be doing in July. That's why you do it. That's why a demolition derby has a liability waiver. Things crash and then go up into the stands. They know that. And that's why they have these things. The fact that these states are doing this should give lie to the whole process and should be a reason to call off the whole process. But they aren't doing it. And the more we can cast attention on the fact these states are trying to pull a fast one like this, it's worth it. Uh, One state, Mississippi, was kind of the first state that we caught trying to pull this off. And some experts have pointed out that Mississippi courts are not particularly kind to liability waivers, which means that this may well turn out to be somewhat academic of an exercise, which then raises the question whether or not it's... Well, I mean, maybe it's a performative issue spotter for the students (laughs) to point out. Maybe the first... Maybe it's just like... It's the exhibit, and then the first question is, please look at your exhibit and point out all the problems. I don't know. <laughs> that would actually be amazing, by the way. Yeah, and, I, I would support know. that. But um, <laughs> North Carolina and Virginia have both also done their version of waivers. They they aren't making people sign things, but they're including in their material for the bar exam that you merely showing up signifies that you agree not to hold us liable, which I don't know as though they can <laughs> – yeah. <laughs> really pull off. There's some legal experts yeah. who've been asked about this who say that that probably isn't sufficient in these situations. But, you know, we'll see. It's going to be a fun time. I, I love, well, not love. I mean, these times just keep on getting more and more interesting. You know, you, you think you're done and, and oh, no, we're going to also ask you to waive all liability for the bar exam. It's like, oh, okay. It's not just, it's not just shitty. It's extra shitty. Good news. <laughs> And we're seeing, you know, like uh, back to the law firm side of things, we're seeing Mm -hmm. the early austerity measures, which were 
mercifully more in the furlough area than in the layoff area, although both happened. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say, though, that the majority of the austerity measures have been salary cuts. Those mostly non-terminal uh, decisions, mm-hmm. uh, we're seeing now firms come back around and institute new austerity measures, which is a terrible sign that with a, they don't foresee things getting much better in the short term. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that if anybody who is at a big law firm that has had a a pay cut, if you think it's going to be over before the end of 2020, my guess is no. If they, yeah, well, you know, some some firms haven't cut salaries at all, but I think the ones that have, I, it seems highly unlikely that they'll be able to put them back online before the end of the year. Interesting. I I feel that's right, or, or at least there will not be a upping to bring everybody back to back to whole. Uh, like the the right. cuts happening right. during these months are going to be cuts that just happened. And even if this ends and you get bumped back to your regular salary, you're not getting this money back in bonus form. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, only uh, a couple of firms even mentioned that as a possibility when they were making their initial austerity cuts. And yeah, I would I would not I would not be holding my breath for the money you've lost during this time. Yeah. Well, it's not great, but. You know, Things are terrible and awful. Yeah, no, the uh, law is terrible, but we're we're here. We're still here. We're still here having fun, talk, making fun of lawyers. So you should yeah. be listening to us, subscribing to us, reading Above the Law, following us on social media. I'm at Joseph Patrice. She's at Catherine One. You should be listening to the aforementioned COVID cast. You should listen to the Jabot, her show. You should listen to all the universe of shows on the Legal Talk Network that we aren't hosts of, because they're all great too, even if they aren't quite as funny as we are. Oh, you should check out, if you have any interest in legal tech, you should check out the Legal Tech web show that Bob Ambrosi does on on Fridays, because I'm one of the panelists. It's kind of like happy hour for legal tech. (laughs) You know, it's like the week, the week's over, and you it, all just sit there and get drunk, right? Uh, that's that's been my assessment of of the podcast. I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, I I definitely drink during it. So yeah, <laughs> actually, that's the you should come for the come for the legal tech news and uh, stay to try and guess what I'm drinking each week. Do you do any drink recipes? That I'd be very interested if everyone also no, provided. but no, but another panelist on the show does have a separate drink recipe thing. Nikki Black's ah, been doing cool. a cocktail recipe show, so <laughs> that's very cool. I mean, we're all trying to keep entertaining. And I guess with all of that, we've said all of our piece. Uh, Thanks to Logical for sponsoring, as always. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, check in next week. Bye, y'all. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.